Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 56. Okay, you were with me, ready to go? Good. So immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So when I graduated from uni, I was studying here at Aberdeen. Uh, I got a job for a gardening um, building company that was set up and run by a local farmer. So uh, that was definitely a laugh, I can tell you that. And one of my uh, colleagues who I worked with pretty much every day was a hard-working, like, absolute grafter, um, really direct. And he was an Eastern European man from Lithuania. Slightly terrifying. And he lived just around the corner from me. So we had a collection point, and every morning I'd walk, and he'd pick me up at the same time. And every single morning I'd get in the van, and I'd say to him, Good morning, how are you today? And every morning he'd pause, and he'd turn, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, Same, beep, different day. And I've titled this evening's message, Same Jesus, Different Day. Because so often in our lives, the landscape of our lives can shift so quickly. Our jobs can change, family situations can change, our relationships can change. But I just want to commend Jesus to you guys tonight, that it's the same Jesus. Even when everything changes in our life, whether it's for the good or for the worse, what it feels like, Jesus remains the same, even when the day is different. And the context of this passage is that for the disciples, their context had completely changed. So they'd just gone from being part of an incredible miracle of Jesus feeding over 5,000 men, women, and children with just five loaves of bread and two fish, to Jesus sending them out. It was night, and they'd gone from the land to the sea, or to the Lake of Galilee. So everything had changed for them. But Jesus and his authority in that situation remained the same. And what I want to highlight tonight is three areas of Jesus' authority in this passage. And so we see Jesus' authority in the go, we see Jesus' authority in the gap, and we see Jesus' authority in the great. So that's kind of the, the overall picture of where we're going, and we'll just drill down a bit, go into each of those. So firstly, his authority in the go. So as 
as, um, as followers of Jesus, each of us will have, for, for all of us, either have been sent by Jesus in the process of being sent or will be sent. And that can look different for each of us. So Jesus can send us to a job, to a workplace. So one of my friends, he feels called to be an engineer and he's living with a sense of this is um, God sending me into this workplace. This is my calling. I know someone else who feels called to be a GP and she feels sent to that workplace. And the list could go on and on. And I know for a number of us here, we'd sense that, that we're called to a particular job or workplace. For others of us, Jesus sending us might look more like a location or a place. Um, So this summer, it's coming up to four years that me and Abby were part of the team to go out and launch City Church in Verruri. And so when the opportunity um, kind of came about, we really felt God placed in Verruri on our heart. So we left where we were living here in Aberdeen, um, bought a wee flat out there, uh, our work situations changed, a lot of relationships changed, but we felt like God was calling us to that place. And maybe for some of us tonight, you felt God prompting you about a place. Maybe it's locally here in Aberdeen. Maybe it's an area where you have a heart for. Or maybe it's beyond Aberdeen. Maybe it's somewhere in Scotland or elsewhere. But Jesus can send us to a place. Or another option might be a people group. So Jesus can send us to a people group, whether that be young people or the elderly or people who are disadvantaged. God might place on your heart a group of people who you just want to love and you just want to share the gospel with. And you don't care where it is. You don't care what you're doing for work. You don't care what it looks like. It's just about the people. You know, that's sending as well. And Jesus's, some of Jesus' final words when he was on this earth um, are found in Matthew chapter 28 when he gathered his disciples together on the side of a hill and he said to them, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. So all authority is with Jesus. He's the first and the last. In him, all things hold together. And in his authority, Jesus sends us out to accomplish his purposes. And in this passage we see in in verse 45, right at the start, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. And that word for made uh, carries a sense of weight, and it can also be translated as compelled or even forced. Jesus forced his disciples to get into the boat. It was like there was no option about this. And maybe some of us tonight have had a bad experience of authority, and that idea that Jesus would compel or even force you to do something makes you feel incredibly uncomfortable because of um, your experience of of authority in the past. Now, when I was at school, we had one school teacher uh, where it was just a a complete um, battle for authority between him and the class the whole time. He was our math teacher. And we would totally just wind him up and push him right to the edge. And it got to one point when 
Uh, he slammed his books down on the table. And he just shouted at the top of his voice, listen to me, listen to me. And it happened to be that his brother was um, a very, very successful businessman in the music industry, multimillionaire running an incredible business. And he just shouted, my brothers, and he named the person and he said, he could offer me a job at the drop of a hat and instead I'm teaching you, you better listen to me now. (laughs) And of course... He had no control over the class, and that just made things even worse. But we've all had bad experiences of authority in our life. And I think sometimes we can respond to that with a bit of, re- of a reactive view of God and authority. And it's been like, I think in this culture, there's been a view of God as this controlling, authoritative policeman in the sky who just tells you what to do, points his finger... And, you know, if you trip up, he's like, well, you didn't listen to me in the first place. And it's like, whoa, that's so not the God we know in Jesus. That is so far from it. But then people can go to the far opposite extreme, which is like, do you know what? Jesus is the most gentle, kindest, most cuddly guy you'll ever meet. And he'd never tell you to do anything. You just do whatever you want. And he'll just be there to pat you on the back and encourage you. But that's not quite right either. Jesus has incredible authority, but we can trust him. He uses his authority for good. Unlike abused authority, he uses it for good. And there's, there's a sense of sweetness in his commands and what he asks us to do. As I was kind of mulling this through this week and reading through this passage, um, one morning I was reading, reading one psalm, and it was just like God totally gave me an answer to what I, was, what I was trying to figure out about this whole authority thing and how it being for good and not a negative thing. And I was reading Psalm chapter 19, uh, and it just totally hit the nail on the head. From verse 7, I read this. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. Sorry, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. And here's the part that really hit home for me. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honeycomb, than honey from the honeycomb. The commands of Jesus are sweet, and there is sweetness in following his voice and being obedient to him and putting our trust in that. I'm I'm part of the Leadership Academy this year. And it wasn't on my agenda at all to get involved and be part of it. I didn't go to any of the open days or open evenings. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't look at the list of topics. I didn't look at the electives. I didn't didn't take it seriously at all because I just thought it's not for me, or at least it's not for me this year. And then it was about a few weeks before um, the deadline, and in true... Don Thomas fashion, I'm very late often. <laughs> I like to work on a tight deadline. Um, it was just like God just changed my heart. I, I can't describe it in any other way that 
he compelled my heart and my desires to look into the Leadership Academy and to take it seriously. And so I spoke it through with Abby, and she was a bit like, whoa, like, we have not talked about this at all. Like, where did this come from? And I spoke to a couple of mentors about it. I spoke to my site pastors about it. I prayed it through. And it was just really clear that the Lord was just compelling me. And it was just like, he, it was like in my mind, it was like, I can't, I can't get away from this. But not in a bad way, not in like a burdensome way, but more like, I just don't want to do anything else. I, I have to do this. I have to make whatever changes we need to in our family life, possibly in our finances, at work, I, just whatever it takes. I have to do this. It was that compelling. When was the last time that you felt the Lord compel you and direct you, whether it be through something you've read in the Bible, whether it be through when you were praying, whether it be through someone else in church that you can trust? When did you last hear those instructions from the Lord? And I just want to ask you, how did it make you feel? Did it make you feel uncomfortable that you were possibly being pushed into something or that, you know, I couldn't possibly do that and all these, these fears and doubts come into your mind? How did it make you feel? Because I believe the Lord wants us to trust him and to trust the goodness and the sweetness of his commands, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, that we can trust in him. That when he sends us out, whether that be to a a people group or a workplace or a location or even to stay exactly where you are, which is also being sent, right? Even staying where you are is still being sent. We can trust in him. and We can trust that his commands are sweet. So the question is, how, how will we respond when the Lord directs us and he sends us? He has authority in sending us. Secondly, he has authority in the gap. And what what do I mean by this? I think we all experience uh, an expectation gap in our life between what we expect to happen on this hand and then possibly what, what does happen on this side. And that gap between what we hope for, what we dream of, what we think will happen and what we does happen is often really annoying and really frustrating. When me and Abby got married... Uh, I'd booked our honeymoon in Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh, and I couldn't wait for the flight across. I couldn't wait for the long-haul flight. I couldn't wait to stick on some good films. I couldn't wait to tuck into some good plain food, a curry. Who, who doesn't love a curry on a flight? It's just awesome. You know, I'd flown with British Airways heaps of times before, and I was just like, this is going to be great. Maybe get... A, a drink or a soft drink with a meal, maybe ask for a second meal as well, because do you guys ever do that, finish your first meal and then ask for a second one? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing some nods. Yeah, that's what I always do. But what I'm not telling you is um, we were flying with EasyJet on a long-haul flight from London to Sharm el-Sheikh. And so when I got on the flight, I was mortified to see no TV screens on the back of the seats. And I thought, this is ridiculous. This is a long-haul flight. This isn't a domestic flight. Come on now. And then I sat down and got given a menu, and I was again mortified to see a ham sandwich for a fiver or a ham and cheese toasty for six pounds or a bottle of water for two pounds. I was like, this is unbelievable. 
Um, and then I eventually got over that and thought, okay, right, I'll go for the ham and cheese toasty. Good old ham and cheese toasty. Ordered that. Even the ham and cheese toasty was delayed. It took ages to arrive. It was unbelievable. But all jokes aside, like we experience uh, in our life things which are far more disappointing than that, than me just going on a flight and complaining about the food and not watching TV. And the gap between our hopes and even what we think God's calling us to do and sometimes our reality can just be full of frustration and disappointment. And these disciples were sent out by Jesus. They followed his command, but they encountered a storm. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. So they followed the Lord's commands. They got into the boat. They went across to the other side. And they went into a storm. It's like, what? Does that make sense to you guys? Because it doesn't quite compute with me. When I first was thinking through it, I thought... Huh. And imagine how they felt out straining at the oars. Said the wind was against them. It said it was at night. From the passage, we can read into it that it, it wasn't just half an hour. They were struggling for a long time at the oars. And Jesus had gone up on a mountainside to pray. And it says that he saw the disciples struggling at the oars. But he didn't go out and meet them until dawn. So there was a gap between when he saw them struggling and when he went out on the water. For those disciples, there must have been a gap in their expectation of what was happening. Like, why are we in this storm? What is going on? But he sees. He still sees them. But it doesn't... um, we, We can't throw aside the fact that Sometimes we follow God's voice and we follow his call and he does send us, but it's not easy. And we do encounter storms and it gets really hard. And I want to ask you guys another question tonight, and that's this. How do you deal with disappointment and discouragement in your life or in your faith? How do you deal with disappointment or discouragement in your life or in your faith. Because the Bible is so real about this. It's so real about these themes. In John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus, who was a dear friend of Jesus, and his sisters. And Lazarus was really ill. So so his sisters sends word to Jesus to come so that he can save him. And we read in the passage that Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was sick and it said that he waited for two days. And it's like, oh, Jesus, you waited for two days and your mate was ill. Like, what is going on there? And then when he did eventually go, one of the sisters came out to him and was like, Jesus, you're too late. He's dead. He's died. And some of us might know that story and know that eventually Jesus did raise him from the grave and it was remarkable and it was miraculous and it was incredible but there was still that gap between what they expected of Jesus and their experience and there would have been disappointment frustration hurt questions in that gap just like each one of us will have in that gap as well and I want to suggest three things 
to each of us tonight about what we can do in that expectation gap when we have those disappointments and discouragements. And the first is to be real, but don't turn back. It's so important that we're real about what we're going through and that we can share that with others and we can be honest with God about how we're feeling and what we're experiencing in our life. But it's so important that that doesn't lead us to turn back. We can be real without turning back from Jesus. How many people have experienced hurt in their life, in church, um, and been distanced from God, been distanced from others, and then they end up turning away? It's tragic, and it's hard, heartbreaking. And I want to say to us tonight, don't turn back, guys. Don't turn back from Jesus. It can be really tough sometimes. We can be in the storm, but don't turn back. See, in verse 48, we read that uh, the wind was against the disciples, and they were straining at the oars. But they kept going. It doesn't say that the, they turned around. Because if you imagine practically, so they're straining against the wind, into the wind to where Jesus had told them to go. They could have just turned around and gone with the wind and gone back. Said, oh, you know, we'll try again tomorrow. Jesus didn't say, today we need to go across to the other side or we have to complete it today. He said, start it today. But, you know, maybe we could go back, have dinner and then try again, give it another knock tomorrow. It said they were straining against the wind and they continued to keep going. I have to say a disclaimer here that there's heaps of different people in this room. We're all going through different life situations. And what I'm not saying as a blanket thing is just keep going in whatever is going on in your life. Just dig in and, you know, just persevere. Because there are some situations which, without a doubt, God will want us out of. And God will want to change the situation. And he'll want to do something miraculous. But often when God sends us, that involves difficulties. And so even in those difficulties and those disappointments, we're not to turn back. Secondly, in those disappointments and in that gap, we're to take our disappointments to Jesus. So Jesus did eventually come out to see them and he was going to pass them by, which was actually a way of him showing them his glory and his authority. This wasn't about him avoiding them. This was actually about him revealing his authority over creation to them and they cried out because they thought it was a ghost and he it says that immediately he spoke to them and he said take courage it is i don't be afraid and the 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 vital part of what jesus said was the it is i part We can hear lots of messages of take courage and don't be afraid from the culture, from different places, from very well-meaning friends. But unless it's rooted in Jesus, it is I. It's not a lot of courage or it won't last for very long. There's a lot to come up against. Jesus didn't just say take courage, you know, let's pull your socks up and get on with. He said take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Even in that gap, they were still in the storm. They might have still been frustrated and annoyed. In that gap, Jesus still had authority and he still met with them. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So we're to take our disappointments to Jesus so he can deal with them. And then thirdly, in this gap, we're to receive the Holy Spirit's ministry. So when Jesus was prepping his disciples for his departure to go to the Father, 
um, he told them of the Holy Spirit, how when he went, he was going to leave with them a counselor, a helper, a guide, the spirit of truth, a comforter, a strengthener, an encourager. So in these moments and in these seasons of disappointment that we have, it would be ridiculous to neglect the Holy Spirit's ministry to our hearts in those times. The Holy Spirit's comfort, the Holy Spirit's strengthening, the Holy Spirit lifting us up and sustaining us in those times. We're to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And again, that is so sweet. I could tell you story after story. We're running out of, wow, we're definitely running out of time. (laughs) So I'm not. But receive the Holy Spirit's ministry. And I'll come into land uh, finally with Jesus having authority in the great. Is there any great end to the greatness of Jesus? Is there any great, any end to his lordship? Firstly, his walking on water. Like if that was me, I'd be giving it a bash during the day um, and in perfect conditions. Jesus, no bother at all, at night in a storm. It's like, maybe if we've heard this story before, or maybe even quite a few times, that kind of glazes over us. But this was no bother for Jesus. He has authority in the great. He has authority to walk on water and to master creation in that way. When he spoke to the disciples and told them that it was him and to have courage and not to be afraid, there's a really beautiful moment in verse 51 when it says that Jesus climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Imagine that. He's just walked on water. Not only that, he's got into the boat. He's calmed the wind. He calmed the storm. And the disciples were just like, wow, how great is our Lord. How incredible is he. And it doesn't tell us in the passage how long that lasted. It could have lasted for a minute. It could have lasted for an hour. It could have lasted for longer. But they were amazed in that moment. And we can be busy, busy, busy in our life. And it can feel like we go from one storm to the next, one chaotic situation to the next. And I believe the Lord wants to carve out an intimate moment for us where even in the storm, the wind calms down just for a moment and we can be amazed by him. We can give him the adoration and the awe that he deserves. When was the last time you felt amazed by the greatness of Jesus? When was the last time you felt that space carved out in your heart and in your life just to sit there and go, wow, Jesus, you are incredible. You are incredible. You came here as a man. You humbled yourself. You served others. King of kings washing others' feet. You came here to live and to die for me, to take all my sin, to take all my shame, to nail it to the cross, to deal with it once for all. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. And then to rise again in victory, to prove that he is Lord and to give us new life. That is incredible. 
There is no end to his greatness. There is no end to his love. There is no end to his grace. And you see, the disciples then went on, and as soon as they touched their feet on the other side, it was like, go, go, go again. Uh, People were brought to Jesus. The sick were brought to Jesus in villages, in the countryside, in the town. They were brought to him in the marketplace. And all of them were healed. And they came, and even by touching just in proximity to Jesus, touching the edge of his cloak, they were healed. Jesus has authority in the great, but in between those two things, in between the storm, him calming the storm, and then back out to go, 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 let's do this, there was this moment of calm and this moment of awe. And we have that opportunity tonight, don't we? In the busyness of our lives to be amazed by Jesus again and what he's done for us. So why don't we stand...